opinions expressed by the presenters and guests are their own, and they do not necessarily reflect those of Equitable Bank. This podcast is presented for general informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment or legal advice. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal professional. Well, welcome back to Equitable Banks, More Bank for Your Book podcast. I'm Errol Kincaid. I've got Phil and Tim with me this morning. And Tim, your first uh, podcast with us. It is. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So our eighth episode, we're going to be diving into wealth management and an area of the financial sector that Tim has uh, a wealth of knowledge, great tenure of experience, and we're excited to to dive in with you. And um, before we do that, we need to learn a little bit about Tim. Well, yeah, because my first experience with Tim was actually not anything to do with wealth management. My first experience meeting Tim was at a charity fundraising shooting event at the Heartland Shooting Park here in Grand Island, which is a wonderful facility. But I was on the board of a not local nonprofit, and every year we'd have an annual fund shoot to raise funds uh, for the charity. And I always remember Tim, and I believe you would bring family members with you because it was always the O'Connor shooting team, correct? And I yes. just, just knew Tim as this very pleasant, very uh, unassuming individual that was always so so kind to me because I'm not uh, an expert in the shooting sports. And, and when you're running these events, you, you kind of have to know what's going on. Right. But Tim always exhibited a great deal of patience for my ineptitudes at running some of the shooting stands we were doing. But uh, believe it or not, Tim is a prolific shooter. And I, I want to talk a little bit about wow, that, Tim. How, how did that. you get into uh, trap shooting, skeet shooting, sporting clays? Well, uh, I was born and raised on a farm out south of Greeley, Nebraska. And my dad was a shooter, a hunter. And so I was just raised with it. It was, uh, he had us. He didn't believe in televisions necessarily. He thought they kept us from doing a lot of things. So uh, we didn't have a TV. We had one. He was actually a repairman in the service, but we never turned it on. Uh, We were always outside. We were hunting. We were shooting, uh, competing. and That's how I got started. I believe you've even coached from shooting over the years. Are you still coaching or have you retired from that? No, still coaching. Okay. Yeah, I coach both kids and adults and work for different teams and still doing it. That's, that's, that's very interesting. Well, how do you go from a, an avid sportsman and outdoorsman to a, a wealth management professional such as yourself? Uh, quite by accident, as it seems. Um, well, years ago, I, I, many years ago, <laughs> I, I was in college. I went to work for a couple of guys that owned a food company. And they were trying to go through some financial planning. Their banker kind of shoved them to do it. And he said, uh, after they renewed their notes on a particular day, they, he said, do you guys have a will? They said, well, no. He said, do you have a trust? They said, no. He said, do you have a buy-sell agreement? They said, well, we must not because we don't know what you're saying. So they embarked on this financial planning journey. And they took me and another young guy out of school uh, with them uh, to the attorney's office and the CPA's office, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, it, in wealth management, financial planning, estate planning, <clears throat> all of that trying to come together, it took some time. Right. A year and a half goes by, and they finally had all their final documents, and they were going to sign them on Monday. And the appointments were made, the attorneys would be there, the witnesses would be there, the wives would be there, everything was going to work perfectly. But they overlooked one thing, and you can't make this stuff up. 
the 40% owner who was actually the money man financing the business was killed in a car accident on mm -hmm. Friday night. So I saw what happened when you don't do the planning. So it made a huge impression upon me as a young guy because uh, nothing I ever had in high school or college ever prepared me for the decisions that we faced at that point in time. So what happened? I decided I, I wanted to find out more of what happened, and I went looking for some type of financial advisor, financial planner. Uh, there wasn't such a thing. This was 1976. That, that wasn't a job description at mm -hmm. that time. Um, I couldn't find one uh, that would even talk to me in language I could understand. So I went back and I started taking some of the financial planning classes myself at the Distance Learning Center at the old Walnut Junior High here in Grand Island, uh, back through Carney State College at the time, and then learned as much as I could about financial planning. So did you stay with the food company through this process, or, or when this, you know, this untimely death happens, did they just cease operations altogether and you were out on the street, or how did, how did that transition happen for you? Well, and that was the... This is where the planning really is uh, very important. In this particular case, uh, everything was just going to be sold. The business was going to be shut down because uh, he was the money man. Well, instead of doing that, there were five young guys in the business that were employees. And so we went to the widow, and we then borrowed enough money uh, that we actually bought the stock, and we kept the business going. So I stayed in the business in the food business for six years afterwards okay. while looking at the financial planning classes, et cetera. And not always are you able to borrow your way into ownership of a company and no, no, the, we were fortunate, fortunate for that widow to have that opportunity to be bought out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And all of us were young guys with agricultural backgrounds. So we had bankers at home that trusted us and we had livestock. So we sold everything we could and had some equity sure. and, um, and made it work. So during this process, you were trying to find someone, anyone that could advise you, what, this is an issue, what do we do now? And that person didn't exist. So fast forward to today, who is that person that you go to if, mm -hmm. if one of these catastrophic events happens, the unforeseen happens, who's that person you go to? Is that, is that your financial advisor? Is that your accountant? Who, who do you go to today to sort through the mess? Well, first off, uh, as you describe it, uh, when that catastrophic event happens, who do you go to? It's too late. Mm. Uh, you need to go there uh, before it happens. Uh, and that's the problem. People say, when is the best time to plan? I said, there's two best times to plan. One was five years ago. The <laughs> other one's today. Right. You know, um, you know, we, we joke about it. Sometimes we laugh so we don't cry, but say, when's, when do you need to plan? When do I, should I do this? I say, well, go to the calendar, look up your date of death, count back 90 days, give me a call. You know? <laughs> it's That's simply funny. put, you need to have it yeah. done. Um, so where, where do we start? I mean, it, you know, Errol and I, we both have kids. We're young professionals in jobs. I mean, do, do we need to be doing this now? Where, where does this process start? What's the most reasonable point in time for this process to start for someone? Uh, now, to, today, yes. Yeah. So what you need to do is find somebody that you uh, can talk to, somebody that will give you information so that you can make an intelligent, informed decision based on what you want to accomplish, not necessarily with what somebody wants to sell you, right. but take you through a process. 
that's probably the difference between what people think of as um, a financial advisor or an investment advisor. Um, many people look to that. The problem with that is, is that the investment advisors typically just look at your investments and say, you should invest here and there and et cetera. But if you get a true financial planner, a wealth manager, uh, they should do a lot more than that. Uh, they're going to help you decide uh, what you want to accomplish. They're going to get to know you and your family. And that's critical in this process. In that example you shared you know, early on in your career, a year and a half timeline, that sounds like a daunting task from my perspective, um, you know, I work with a lot of business owners. Um, partnerships can be very complex. It could, it, they can be simple. You know, businesses can be solely owned. They can have two member partners. Um, and then sometimes they can be very dynamic, many, many moving parts. Um, and so I think a lot of times that timeline is going to be determined based on structure and needs, right? And, and kind of that risk a, a assessment, um, but how do, you know, we speak into those, those partnerships and those businesses that, um, have yet to get started? Maybe we start there. They're thinking about creating something, um, and they haven't either they're in the formation process, they're getting ready to start opening bank accounts, asking for those, the, the, the lending side of things. Um, you know, what's your advice and how do you speak into a business owner or a partnership at that stage of the game? Well, if you um, make a connection with a, a financial planner, somebody that has um, some formal education in it, not just a license to sell things, but right. they, they would be like a chartered financial consultant or a CFP, a certified financial planner. What you're looking to them for is to shortcut that timeline so they, they'll sit down with you and say, okay, with a financial statement and with maybe a couple hours in a conversation, they'll map out a timeline, a program, okay. so that it doesn't take a year and a half and you still don't have it signed when something happens. Right. And so you just need to get involved in that process. And when they do this job for you, uh, they'll give you an idea of that timeline. Uh, but it can be fairly quickly, 60, 90 days maybe, sure. uh, from beginning to end if it's done right. Uh, it, also, it has to work as part of a team. So at Equitable, uh, we have a team of professionals. There's 12 of us in the department. But we work with the client's team. So if you're starting a business, we're going to work with your attorney, your CPA, communicate between all that. So uh, we'll, we know the issues. Uh, we believe you as a client, you know the answers. Right. You don't know the questions. Right. It's our job to bring these questions up. And your answers will guide us on what needs to be done and who we need to get you with next. The attorney, the accountant. We need these kind of documents. You need to talk to your attorney. The other thing that it does, by having us involved in it, it gives you the ability then to look at the other professionals on your team, the attorney, the accountant, and say, am I on the right track? Are we headed the right direction? Does he know what he's talking about? Uh, so it gives you a check and balance system in your financial planning. Well, to me, financial planning is something that is very goals-based because how do you know what your plan is 
if you don't know where you want to end up. So I, I typically think of it as, a, as a kind of a life cycle process. Now, whether you're a small business owner, whether you're just a, a regular nine to five type person, if you are having these conversations, it really needs to start with the goal. So for myself personally, I, I'm fairly young. I have a lot of working years ahead of me, I hope. And my primary goals right now is, well, I need to start saving for retirement and I'd like to do something for my kids for college. I'd like my kids to be able to go to college. Is that where you start? If you, Because you have, a, a, I'm sure, a wide diversity of clients. I'm sure you have 20-year-old clients, and I'm sure you've got 80-year-old clients and everything in between. So everybody, their goal, their plan is going to look different at different stages of their life. So if someone, a, a young couple, let's say, just hypothetical, uh, Mr. and Mrs. John Smith walk in, they're a young couple, maybe they have a couple kids at home, they both work. Where do you start that process with them? Is it, is it an interview? Is it finding out what those goals and objectives are? What's, what's the holistic approach that you bring to the table for them? You're exactly right. It is an interview that it takes about an hour and a half, maybe two hours we allow for that to get to know them and to, yes, uh, try to figure out their goals, what they want. Many people haven't thought about it, but as just listening to you, Phil, you're, you're, those are the list of things that we go through is how are we going to is college how are we going to fund it how are you going to pay for it a lot of people say well I'm just going to start a college fund account and I'll put in what I can put in that's that, a wish that yes it doesn't work it, that's the we call it the spenders versus savers mentality and we've all been both but when we're in our spending mentality we say I spend what I have to spend and then I'll save what's left what is left? Typically nothing. Right. We, we spend it all. So you have to have a program set, is what we find. And it has to be around your goals. So you're exactly right. So as we move through the life cycle, they come in, uh, Tim, you know, we're going to save for college, we're going to save for retirement. I know they're missing something. There's something they haven't thought of. Because even the, you know, the most financially savvy individuals Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. You know, we, we've got, you know, we got this great plan. We've got our 401k and our IRA set up. We got the college funds for the kids. You know, uh, we got our mortgage in check. We don't have a lot of personal debt. You know, we're really on track here. What's the first roadblock they're going to hit? Because I, I know that, you know, life is what happens in the middle of your plan, right? Because life is going to happen to these people. And, I, and I'm sure you've seen all ends of it. What are these pitfalls that people don't even, they don't know what they don't know? Um. Most people are going to get around to do it someday, if you ask them. Um, what we find is that analysis paralysis will set in. They'll, for example, if God forbid something happens to Mrs. Jones and Mr. Jones at the same time, who's going to raise the kids? They have a little trouble, many families, with, I, I'm not sure. We need to think about that. And then what happens is it, it paralyzes them. Mm. So if we can help them think through that and get past not only the financial, if you will, and the decisions, but the personal decisions that have to be made and deal with those, uh, it goes much faster. What happens to the kids? Mr. and Mrs. Smith, they don't have a plan. They don't have a will. They, don't have, a, they have nothing. Okay? They're just your regular common folk that, you know, they're 28, kids are young. They're never going to pass. Nothing bad's going to ever happen. What does happen? The court will decide. Family doesn't have any input. Maybe mom and dad, brother, sister. The family will have input, but it'll it'll be up to the judge. It'll. That's scary to think about. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, most people would you wouldn't choose that for your child, especially at that point in time. I mean, when their world is upside down, now we're going to subject them to that. Uh, it's much better to have the plan. Yeah, so you you need a plan. I think we can all agree right. at especially when there's children involved to me because that that takes it peels back the layer of the process because so much of when we think of wealth management, it's, it's dollars and cents. It's the money side of things. But in hearing you talk, there's a very large personal component to this discussion and why you need this person in your corner to help you navigate all of the intricacies of the process. And I think that by having them in place, you can get to these questions that really need to be asked, they need to be discussed. They're you know, uncomfortable discussions. I don't want to think about what happens to my kids if something happens to me, but uh, quite frankly, it, it probably needs to be talked about sooner rather than later. So what's the foundation? When Okay, they've come in, they're, they're on board, they, they, they want to get something done sooner rather than later. What's that foundation that you lay out for clients? It, it's driven by the answers to their questions and to their situation and, as you described, their goals. So the foundation probably it, it is to determine the life goals. And then if, God forbid, something happens that you pass away early, that's a second set of decisions, if right. you will. Um, the other thing that we see is that if we can get to know your situation, uh, we'll find cases where uh, your decisions will change in these circumstances. To give you an example, uh, if you, well, half of the marriages in the country, they claim end in divorce. Is that still a valid statistic, 50%? Yes. Okay. Oh. Yes. So that being true, you think about it for a minute, that means half the people I sit down with have probably been divorced. So what happens when they remarry? We now have blended families. So it's the personal situation that drives the planning. Uh, not the planning drive in the personal situation, if right, you will. Right. Uh, so, for example, I, I had a situation where they said, well, we think we're planned, it's all done. I okay, we should review it. As a financial planner, our expertise is being able to get to know you and your kids, your family, and then make sure that everything fits. So we look at this family's documents that were done like five years before, and it was a blended family. And in this particular case, they said, well, what happens if something happens to Mrs. Jones and then something happens to Mr. Jones second? This says all the, the assets go to your children equally. Yes, that's correct. That's what we want. I said, well, the problem is I don't think it's going to happen. And they said, well, that's what the document says. Yes, it does. But in this particular case, Mrs. Jones, if you pass away first, Mr. Jones, have you adopted her two children? And he said, well, no. He said, well, then you won't have the care, custody, and control of them. Is their father still alive? Well, yes. Well, he will have them. So without some provision in there, the, then the risk is, is that the children would go somewhere else. That's not a risk. That's just a fact. But, right. but the assets that you are putting in your plan to take care of those kids, do you want those to be handled by, in this case, her ex-husband? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, your will and your documents are all silent. They don't say anything about that. 
So you need to have a trust in your will uh, that does that. So when we look at the foundation, we look at the family situation, and then we give them the information they need to make that decision so that they can say, well, in this particular case, yes, I want my brother, my sister, a trustee of the bank to be trustee of the money for my children should I not be here. I don't want an in-law or an outlaw or somebody to have that. So it's a very personal decision based on your circumstance. When we talk about what happens to the money, well, to me, the first step in that is, well, how do we get the money there in the first place? You know, how do we, how do we have assets at the end of our life or, or at retirement or, or whatever it might be for that, that life cycle goal? How do we guarantee that something is going to be, well, there's no guarantee in life, but how do we ensure that more likely than not, we are successful in our goals? And one of the things I always think of is, well, you need some life insurance because, you know, if someone passes away and maybe they're the sole breadwinner for the family or contribute a significant amount of the income to the family, you've just lost that income stream. You know, maybe they don't get remarried. Who knows? You know, we don't, we can't plan for those things, but we know we can try to mitigate the risk in that. I, there's a statistic that sticks in my mind, and you shared this with me at one point in time. How many people don't make it to retirement, essentially? What, what is that statistic again? It's huge. Uh, actually, out of 100 people who had entered the workforce in their early 20s, uh, on average, 29% of them don't make it to 65. Mm. That's a huge statistic. That's a large number. Yes, that's um, it's almost one in three. And so, so there's three of us sitting here today, and... I already made 65, so one of you two is in trouble. <laughs> well, and I'd be curious, too, not, not only death, but disability. You're, Correct. You're the inability to continue to earn a living. Correct. What are the statistics on, on disability rather than death? Well, good question. Um, if you take uh, seven people um, at age 40... Uh, one of the seven will be totally and permanently disabled before 65. So peak earning, peak, excuse me, peak earning years, peak working years between 40 mm-hmm. and 65, that's when people are going to make the majority of their lifetime income. Correct. One of those people, the income's getting shut off. One of seven. So look around your workplace, count seven people and figure out who it's going to be. Well, not me. Yeah, of course right. not. Never Everybody us. thinks that. Yeah, it's not me. And I think that's the problem with so much of financial planning. It's like you say, it's the paralysis by analysis. It's, yeah, I know I need to do these things, but, well, there's always tomorrow. That's not going to happen today. I'm in good health. Nothing bad's going to happen. There's the life insurance piece. And, right. I, and I think it's so important. A lot of people can sell life insurance. Correct. It's a product. It's a tool. But without that, that coach, that wealth management professional, you might end up in a product that, one, doesn't meet your goals. Two, isn't the best fit for you and your family and, and what stage of life you're in. You know, Errol brought up the disability piece. Is there anything we're missing here? I mean, let's talk a little bit about retirement planning. Oh, well, we, we make it to 65, right? We, we beat the statistic <laughs> and make it to 65. Well, let's stay on the insurance part first. Yeah. So if you think about a timeline, like today now, and you go out to age 100, if I could guarantee that you could live to 100, you'd make all your goals. Everything would work. But if, God forbid, the car wreck or something happens and you pass away in 30 days, 
who's going to fulfill that obligation? Your family still needs that money. Right. You, you take a 30-year-old that's going to work 35 years. If they make, do the math, $100,000 a year, that's $3.5 million that they would have earned. Saying they never got a raise, never <laughs> changed jobs, never did anything. The family just lost $3.5 million. I, I don't want to trivialize the value of a human life, but we are earning machines for our family also. And life insurance is really can be a cheap product. You know, a 40-year-old, 25 bucks a month, if you're in reasonable health, could buy a million dollars worth of term insurance. So it doesn't cost that much to be and properly insured. Tim, I'm curious to hear some of your pet peeves or the things that really bother you in that space. I don't deal with life insurance professionally. I don't research it. I don't know a lot about the inner workings. Um, but as you're meeting with clients, setting up new or reviewing existing, what are those things that you, you see out there that just are pet peeves for you? Well, we see most people don't understand their own policies and how they're structured. And there are policies out there where uh, they're interest-driven policies. So what it means is, is that you put money into the policy and the insurance company takes out the cost for the insurance every month. Well, as you get older, they take more out. And most people just pay the same premium in. Well, it's going to deplete all your cash. So the risk is, is that you run out of insurance at a certain time, um, sooner than what you probably thought is the unfortunate part. So we audit everybody's plans uh, to make sure they understand what they have and how they do it. The, the other major component is debt. You know, we're talking about saving for retirement, but how do we keep the debt in control? Because mm -hmm. we, we have a mortgage. We, maybe we're paying for a car loan. May, may, we have credit cards. Student loans. Student loans. So we're going to get into those numbers Actually, before we talk about the retirement, yes, we're going to talk about retirement, but if, if we can liquidate these other liabilities, we can improve your lifestyle uh, greatly. Well, one of the things that I see in working with business clients is, in my experience, Errol, maybe yours is different, young business owners, young professionals, good income, good plan, are chronically underinsured. I cannot tell you the number of clients I've worked with that have a family, have a mortgage, maybe have some business debt, but they do really well. They've got a great business, they're making a great income, they're doing all the things right. And when we come in and we go over their financial statement, they've got $200,000 of life insurance. And when I talk to them about it, it's like, well, you know, I, I owe 150000 on my house. I have a $200,000 life insurance policy. Something happens to me. The house is paid for, and my wife can go get another husband. And, and to me, that's, that's a little short-sighted. You know, you, you've built this, this wonderful machine, this business that, that provides a, a wonderful life for you and your family, and it's, it's almost like you're, you're not doing the routine maintenance on it to make sure that, it, you know, in the event you, the key cog that drives this machine, falls out, now what? How do you... It's goals-based. Certainly it's goals-based. But is there a minimum threshold that when someone comes in to sit down, depending on their age and where they're at in their life, how much life insurance does someone need? I mean, bare minimum, how much do you need? Uh, on a, as a general rule, just a general rule of thumb, 10 times annual income is probably a, a really good place to start. Because uh, when you think about it, the capital, the, the life insurance proceeds, 
have to produce the income that you were going to produce. So then it just becomes a math test. Um, so if somebody says to me, I have a million dollars of the life insurance, I say, okay, so if I'm investing the money for a widow and children, now, first off, if I'm investing money for Mr. and Mrs. Jones, and they tell me that they're fairly aggressive investors, we might have a 60% stock portfolio or 75% stock portfolio, but if you're investing money for a widow and orphans, you can't afford to take those risks because if the stock market corrects, which it always does, right? Right, right. And you see the stock market drop 20 or 30%, you can't go to that widow and say, you know, that million dollars you used to have is now 700,000 and your income now is a third less. So what you do is a million dollars today, if you put it in a balanced portfolio, bonds, an income portfolio, you might get 4%, maybe. So let's say you did. So a million dollars is worth 40 grand a year. To replace a $100,000 income. Correct. And the $40,000 a year is still income taxable. And now the, the widow has to file a tax return as a single person, so it's a, she puts her in a higher tax bracket. Mm. So getting the house paid for, yeah, that's step one. But we also need to maybe provide funds for college. We need right. to apply, uh, we think of life insurance to pay final expenses. Final expenses, funeral, those type of things. Those are minor. It's the income stream you right. have to replace. And I think, I mean, as a father and a, a husband, you know, the questions I was asked, you know, what are, if you're not here for your kids and for your spouse, what are those things that are most important that you ensure are, are taken care of, right? We talked about college, but how about that car? How about that down payment for a future home? Correct. You know, those, those types of things, um, need to be discussed. I think that Tim is where that interview process you dis- you discussed early on, that 90-minute discussion, two-hour discussion, you need to hash some of that out. Get it out in the open. Talk about it openly, um, you know, as a, as a couple with your planner, and then think about it. Correct. Right? And, and maybe that 10 times earnings or income isn't going to be enough. If I got five kids... And, and they're all, all girls, <laughs> right? Yeah. I got some weddings to pay for and things, right? Yeah. And so I think that illustrates a little bit too for our for our audience, you know, why that conversation today or tomorrow is so important if it's not already been had. Correct. And then if God forbid that happens, now you come back to the plan. So now you hear us discussing the personal decisions that go into the plan. But now we go back to the plan. So say, God forbid, something happens to you, Arrow. Okay, so this dollar value that comes into the estate, how is it going to come in? Well, did you know that a husband and wife can't disinherit each other? I've tried. (laughs) (laughs) We hope your wife hasn't seen this, right? (laughs) But but the reason I tell you this is because... uh, I'll apologize to you, Arrow, but in my example, you're dying first. Okay, your wife good. will outlive you. But so you pass away first. What happens then if she gets remarried? Well, she can't disinherit this new spouse. So if she doesn't do any planning, the risk is if she dies before the new spouse, 
maybe the assets that you've created will go to part to his kids, if you will, if he has any. So we need to use the means, trusts as a general rule, so your will can create a trust sure. to manage those assets for kids. Your wife can still be the tr trustee of it, but when she gets married again, if she should, then they marry her. They don't marry your assets and right. they don't get drug in there. So that's why the plan needs to reflect your personal views and your personal situation. And then we try to build fences around your assets so that you can protect them. Well, I think that's a good, it's a, it's a fence. It's a shield. This is, these are my wishes. And you can, like I say, it's a wish. If you don't have it on paper, if you're not working with a professional, that's all it is, is this is my wish. But after you're gone, there's nothing at that point that can be done to ensure that your wishes are carried out. And that's why it's so important to come meet with a professional, with your spouse, so that you can mm -hmm. lay it all out there. These are our goals. And I'm sure there's been times where you've been in meetings where husband and wife, they might have different goals. They might have different objectives for, you know, maybe, maybe the wife wants to retire at 75, loves her job, doesn't want to quit. Maybe the husband he likes to fish. He wants to retire at 58. So I think there's always some give and take in this planning process. When we start looking, you know, we're covering our bases, we're covering those earning years with, you know, an insurance plan of some sort and a vehicle to transfer that money to who it needs to go to. We go back to, we've got savers, we've got spenders. Can you, can you turn a spender into a saver? How, how do you as a wealth management professional, we've, we want to retire. That's a good question. How do we set it up so that we can actually attain that goal? It's not, well, whatever's left at the end of the month, 50 bucks, hundred bucks, whatever it is, we put that away for retirement. How do you, how do you make that transition? We take the family in this discussion through the goal setting. And then ultimately, as I tell all of my families, they're the ones that have to make the decision. I can help. But we structure a plan to where we can liquidate that debt, if you will. So make a conscious effort uh, to liquidate the debt early. Um, How many families that you meet actually have that budget, have that, that spending uh, guideline, if you will? None. In the discipline, none. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's very rare. So, now and then you get... So think about our audience today. I mean... How important is it to take the time then and create that? Uh, Here's our income. Here are the kind of our fixed costs, right? If we have a car payment, a mortgage, you know, daycare, those sorts of things that are constantly reoccurring, we know what those are. Yes. And then here's what's left, the disposable income. How much of that are we saving? How much of it are we spending? And who's holding us accountable to that? Correct. That's one of the questions in our interview is we ask, if you save as much money in the next year as you did last year, are you going to be happy with your habits? Lifestyle creep. Correct. Mm. I mean, I think we're all guilty of that. It happens, you yes. know, and, and especially during inflationary times like we have now, you might not adjust your lifestyle a whole lot. But if we've got CPI at 9%, well, guess what? Your paycheck goes just that much uh, less far every month yeah. as you've got costs increasing. That's why I think it's, I think it's good that everyone contributes to a 401k if they have one available to them. Maybe they're self-employed. I think there's a lot of options out there for self-employed individuals to set up 
you know, tax advantaged programs for their business. Certainly you could help with that. A wealth management professional can help with that. Financial planning can help with that. As they work towards those goals, they've got a good plan in place. They meet with you and we're going to save, you know, whether it's 15 or 20% of our income and we've got our life insurance in place. Now it's time to really talk about legacy and the life. Is that the trust? Is that the will? How, how, do you, how do you set up that discussion around how do we leave a legacy? Um, that's, that's even uh, a part of the initial discussion that we have in the first two hours or so with our client okay. is uh, using wills and trusts uh, in order to guarantee what you want to have happen will happen. And so uh, it's the format and the you, you, a will can do it, a trust can do it, you can do it either way. As a matter of fact, it, typically it's a combination of both, because even if you say, I want to do everything in a will system, that's fine. But in your will, for example, a husband or wife can say, I want my half of the assets to go into a trust for my spouse and my children. So you can have a trust for your spouse also, uh, if husband and wife both pass away, then you can also, of course, have trusts for the children. As we get older, so, and these children now are out on their own, you can, some people say, well, back to my statement, half of the marriage is in a divorce. What happens if I pass away and all my assets go to my kids and my kids get divorced? Can they lose those assets? Well, yeah. yeah. So there's a way to set up what we call beneficiary controlled trusts. So uh, imagine if you're in a farm or ag operation or business, family business, uh, you can say, all right, I want my assets to be left to my children equally, but I don't want them to be given the assets outright. I want it to be held in trust for them. Now you put a trustee in charge of it. So can my son Johnny be trustee of his own trust? The answer is yes. But then if it's done properly, his creditors can't get to it. If, God forbid, he gets a divorce, it, those assets are not a part of his divorce. So you, what you do is also always driven by the goal. Right. What are you trying to do here? And one of the things I've heard you know, clients and, and family and friends talk about is, you know, after that, that death event, you know, whatever it is, it could be you know, a, the patriarch of the family, um, you know, that, that nucleus, that you know, passes, and then the fighting and the bickering and the arguing and the, and the control grabbing and the run for the money, right? That those conversations start and, and just how ugly that, that part of it can be. Um, you may, maybe speak into that truth a little bit for our audience that from your perspective, you know, the, the old saying, right? Well, money changes people, right? They, they start to act differently than they did prior once they know what's what's available to them this is huge and we do a lot of communication after we put the plan in place so as part of our team we have the offer for mr and mrs jones after the plans in place to meet with their family now, we're not going to sit at the table and say, okay, you get this and you get that and everybody's getting it. But <clears throat> what we do is we outline the plan. And I've been doing this now 38 years. Anytime we've had a plan and anytime we've had that meeting, the problems disappear. 
Why? Hmm. Because everybody knows there's a plan. They know it was what mom and dad wanted. And there's no more decisions left to make. So we don't have to worry about X, Y, and Z as a rule. How often do families take you up on that? Well, our families, uh, a lot of them do. Okay. Most of them do. Um, you know, you asked me first, uh, how many are prepared and come with budgets? I'd say, you know, I'll be nice and say one out of 100. But, <laughs> but I'll say 80% of our families or more uh, will have us involve their adult children in these conversations after or as we're putting the plan in place. And so what does that look like? Is that we're at mom and dad's house around the dinner table, all their kids and possibly spouses are there, grandkids are playing in the backyard, and we're talking for an hour. Yes, yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, um, I have a portable easel, and sometimes I'm in the living room drawing on it and drawing boxes of trust and saying this goes here and that goes there. Um, Sometimes it's in our office. Uh, Sometimes the in-laws and the outlaws don't come because they weren't invited. It's their choice. Sure. Yeah, whoever you want to have it, we'll do it for. Well, because when we talk about that legacy, and, and I run into this oftentimes, fair and equal are mutually exclusive, whether it's a business. And, and here in Nebraska, where we're, you know, we have a strong ag presence, I see this often where um, you know, mom and dad put together a farm and the son stays behind and works for 20, 30, 40 years with dad, alongside dad, helping him build the farming operation. And there might be you know, other sons and daughters strewn about the country, have their own lives, their own things. They're not really heavily involved in the farm. And I've seen it happen both ways where, you know, mom and dad pass, everything gets split equally. It doesn't matter that the son or daughter that stayed to labor on the farm and and help build that farm enterprise doesn't matter, whether it's a third, a fourth, a fifth or whatever. And I've also seen it where they get everything. And to me, it's ultimately, it's that goal. It's the plan. This is mom and dad's wish. And I think that's why this is such an important thing because uh, if there's no plan in place, does it automatically just get divided equally? Well, it depends on family relationships and who's alive and are they children, stepchildren? I mean, uh, so the answer varies each time. Mm. But we have a law. It, you could say this, is that you have to have a will. Now, some people say, what do you mean? I don't have a will. Yeah, you do. There's the law of intestate, which basically means... I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. <laughs> Scariest phrase so, there is. So they drew a will for everybody who doesn't have a will is what it amounts to. So the, that's one of the t- things, the topics that we talk about in our initial meeting is the concept of equal and equitable. Hmm. Because many times, most times, equal is not equitable, especially if you have a child that's in business. Um, Another big thing that happens, especially in farm and ag fa- families, where you have a preponderance of the assets are real estate. So you're asset rich and cash poor. So now what? So that's where life insurance can fit that bill. So you say, well, maybe we could fund a little life insurance out of the operation, and we'll give life insurance to the kids who are not on the farm, not in the business. And, it, and the, the child or children that stay on the farm say, look, I could work a little harder and do that to help pay the insurance if I knew that I was going to get rewarded for it at some point in time. So we set up programs like that. Right. 
And there are some special life insurance policies that are designed to that. They, they, they don't pay a death benefit till the second person dies. So it, you cover both mom and dad, but the money is there when you need it. Right. One thing you said, too, was just that relationship with our government. You know, the two things are inevitable, death and taxes, right? I mean, you're, you're going to have a taxable event at some point in time. And I think that echoes back to one of your earlier statements, that it's a team approach and how important that that tax advisor, that CPA, that understands the family, understands their operations, their businesses, their farms, whatever, the dynamics there are part of that discussion. Mm-hmm. Because then they can explain, if we don't do these things, and this happens, here's what that obligation is going to mean from a dollars and cents standpoint at the end of that year. When we go to file the tax returns, this is what it means, and then how do we... How are we going to handle that? Because you can only borrow so much from a bank. Correct. And depending upon what cycle we're in from an economy standpoint, um, you know, financially we have ebbs and flows of profitability in every industry, in every sector, right? And we won't know what time we will have that event, right? And so there might be zero options to borrow out of that. Correct. So to our audience, just in the importance of, you know, that, that 360 approach, looking at it from all angles is really important. Yes. Yeah. Tim, you're a wealth of knowledge. 36 years in the wealth management financial planning industry. 38. 38 years. Uh, yeah. We can't thank you enough for your time today. Really appreciate you joining us here. And I think to summarize, life is complicated, Right. Everybody's got a plan or should have a plan, thinks they have a plan, but you really need that quarterback, your wealth management professional, your financial planner at some point in time, sooner rather than later, five years ago was probably best to be there to help navigate the whole process for you so that your goals are met and your wishes are carried out throughout the life cycle. And I think this really brings together the discussion that is it's of critical importance to have that professional in your life. It, I don't think this is anything, uh, no matter how well versed you are in finances that anybody should tackle on their own. I think they should have a professional in their life that can you know, bring together the attorney, the CPA, the life insurance, the trusts, the retirement, the college, the debt reduction, bring it all in mm. on one page so that you've got that one person that I can pick up the phone, call you, Tim, Tim, this is my issue. And you might not know the answer, but you've got the team in place around them to help get that answer for them. And I think that's critically important, whether you are just a a regular nine to five worker, business owner, agricultural, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. you need to have your plan and you need to have your planner in place. Yeah. And something too, that Tim said earlier, communicate it in such a way that I understand it. Speak my language. If you're talking over my head and I don't really understand what you're saying. It doesn't connect up here. There's a huge miss. Correct. I'd say that's probably one of the core competencies that we really center on is to give you, to educate you so that you can make an intelligent informed decision based on what you want to do. Yeah. And you understand because at the end, as I said, when we started this conversation, you know the answers. You just don't know the questions. 
And with that, thank you, Tim. Yeah, thanks, We appreciate Tim. you joining us here today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, until next time, thanks for joining us on this uh, eighth episode um, of More Bank for Your Buck. I want to thank our audience for joining us today on More Bank for Your Buck and looking forward to our next podcast together, Phil. Sounds great. Thanks, Errol. My pleasure. Thank you. The opinions expressed by the presenters and guests are their own, and they do not necessarily reflect those of Equitable Bank. This podcast is presented for general informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment or legal advice. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal professional.